Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. My hope is that when they see that number, when people put it on their chest and it doesn't say, oh, that's that get Jack chick. That's all she was as a basketball player. I'm, my prayer is that when, when you see people walking around uh, with 33 on their chest, they're going to say, I like that number and that person that wore that and it got raised in a rafter because of what she stands for. Her legacy was her servanthood and her sisterhood and her her, fa- her love for her family and her never forgetting her community that she's come from. That's why that number is going to mean something. Felicia Leggett Jack is one of the most decorated and talented student athletes in the history of the women's basketball team at Syracuse University. More than three decades after she graduated with dual degrees in child and family studies and psychology, her name is etched in the program's record books as Syracuse's fourth leading scorer and second leading rebounder, a four-time basketball letter winner, Leggett Jack guided the Orange women's basketball team to its first NCAA tournament appearance in school history during a sensational freshman season that earned her the Big East's Freshman of the Year honors. By the time her career was over, Leggett Jack had earned all Big East honors three times, guiding the program to two NCAA tournament appearances. In November, Leggett Jack added another honor to her resume when her number 33 was retired, becoming Syracuse's first female student-athlete to have her number hang from the rafters inside the dome. Leggett Jack is our guest on this episode of the Cuse Conversations Alumni Podcast. It has to be such a humbling feeling to know that there's so few people that have had their athletic career honored with Jersey retirement hanging high atop the dome rafters. Take us back to the day. How did you find out that your alma mater was planning this. You know, to, to, to God be the glory, you know, you don't play the game uh, for the, these accolades. You don't, you don't go to school for any kind of basketball things. You try to get a college degree. And uh, it was just a blessing that um, I was able to go to Syracuse and, and receive a scholarship and, and uh, get a college degree. Uh, I was actually getting the chance for citation and, um, and, and uh, Rachel Vassal was there, you know, in, um, doing video of me and and just me coming up with a speech on what we're going to talk about for the chance for citation. And she shared with me that there's somebody that want to say hello uh, during this time. I'm like, of course. And it was John Wildhack our uh, AD at, at Syracuse. And um, <clears throat> he just told me about how they're redoing a dome and they're really fixing up. I'm like, my goodness, I can't wait to get back to see it. I haven't been back to Syracuse in a while. And I love the, he said, matter of fact, you can help. You can help by uh, adding something to the dome. I'm like, yeah, of course you, uh, your alma mater, you're willing to do any and everything. He said, you want to uh, add my Jersey in, in the dome? I'm like you don't need my permission for that. He said, no, I want to <laughs> retire. your jersey. I'm thinking like, am I hearing this right? And I'm like, yes, you're the first woman that we've, um, feel that should be have her number re- retired first in, in the 50 year anniversary of uh of women and i said i took a step back and i of course i got emotional because that's all these things came to my mind about what just transpired here i'm just a little kid from brick city and syracuse housing authority that dreamt about coming to syracuse 
And here I am now, a, a, a graduate there, I'm getting a chance for citation. And they're saying that I'm worthy enough to be the first to have my, my number re retired. And I just, I thank God in my, in my head. And I, I thank my teammates and my coaches and my family. And I thought, I, 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 in my, all in that 30 seconds, I had to kind of digest what I just heard. And, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so humbled by this. I certainly know there's so many others that deserve what I received. And I don't take that lightly. I take the responsibility of that too. And as I climb and become, I reach down and grab others to help them understand hope is here and you can keep believing because people like Felicia Leggett Jack has witnessed miracles. It's hard to believe Felicia, but you, you lived it. You know, we didn't always have women's sports getting the national attention that it did. I mean, Title IX, the landmark legislation was only... 50 years ago. And I know you're coaching these amazing student athletes at University of Buffalo. Uh, and you, I'm sure, talk to student athletes all the time. But it's hard to believe that there really wasn't a time where the women and the men were given equal opportunities and equal spotlights. Can you summarize just how big Title IX was and what it's meant uh, to sports and, and developing the student athletes? Well, it's still evolving. It's, we're still not there. We, we're not going to be a celebration when we're not equal. Until we are uh, become equal, then we'll, we'll look back and, and acknowledge we are, we're still becoming and we still have a long way to go. And I'm, I'm excited that we've taken steps. And, you know, I just love um, John. He's just apologetic about what Syracuse didn't do in those 50 years. But I said in, in, in the five years you've been there. Not only am I going to have my jersey uh, acknowledged, but there's also another person. So in five years, you've added two women uh, to the rafters. So, you know, thank you for, for seeing us and not just seeing us, acknowledging that our existence mattered enough and our accomplishments matter so much that you're going to do something about it. So, you know, I'm, I'm humbled about um, Title IX and what we're trying to do, but, you know, we're just so not there yet. And until what I do is equal to what you do as a man, uh, I, I, we have some more work to do. I think a lot of people got a rude awakening when they showed this past March, the March Madness, the workout rooms, to use air quotes, for what the men had at the Division One level versus what the women had. And it, you're right. We have a long ways to go. Thankfully, Student athletes have social media, and that might be a cursing and a blessing uh, for, for you having a coach that has to deal with these, these student athletes going to social. But did you do you think we're what do we need to do to level the playing field? Because that just seems like it's a very small example, but a glaring example of how uneven things are. You know what? Just use the same energy you use for the same sport <laughs> that you would for men. You know, it takes the same energy to not give as it does to give. You know, and I just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, it's like, you know, they, they said that we didn't raise a, a lot of money as women. And that's why we didn't get um, maybe the, 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 the weight room or the money or what well, we were told that we couldn't utilize certain things. March Madness couldn't be on the floor. That wasn't a part of our, our women's road. What road are we on if we're not marching towards March? Uh, so we, we we were denied opportunities to make money. We were denied opportunities to utilize things. And then we were told that we are um, not bringing in the money to, 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 to make it as important. 
you know, I, I watch marketing, you know, and I see how marketing gets after, you know, men's basketball. And one example is, I mean, we had a basketball game earlier in my career here at Buffalo. And the day before our game was a sign outside of our track that says the men's game is in two days. Get out and come watch men's basketball. And I spoke to our marketing person. I said, well, why wouldn't you put our games tomorrow? And this person said to me, because college students think men's basketball is cool. And so those are the people that are running around the track and they're going to want ones to, to get, come to the game. And I said, but women's basketball is a different kind of cool. And so I put a t-shirt together that says, you be women's basketball. It's a different kind of cool. And, <laughs> and it's our number one selling t-shirt now because yeah, there's a dunk, you know, for the men, but there's a purity in women's basketball. And, and if you're going to market sport in college, you got to find a niche that, that, that draws in the, 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 the fan. And it's an easy thing to do if that's what you do for a living, which is marketing. Um, and I just think that if we can just invest in the, the, the appreciation of what we all do, I think it could be a, a glorified thing to, to, to make everything even. And I think that's where we are right now. We're getting to that aha moment where, you know, sport is sport. And I tell you one thing, I'm going to be the first one in line watching to see uh, Serena play tennis. I certainly want to see a gymnastic young women do what they do and, you can't tell me that it's not beautiful watching Dawn Staley and her South Carolina women's basketball team who's averaging 19,000 fans play. Hey, I played against her and a couple of plays, uh, her players did on our team. I was like, <laughs> I started clapping. I'm like, that's beautiful basketball. And you got to acknowledge it and you got to have fun with it. This is a sport, but this is a small microcosm of our world, you know, Women is, I think, 51 or 52% of the population of the world. And we don't hold office of presidential or CEOs of majority of things because we've been told that we're not worthy of. But it's changing. Until that's equal, then we have work to do, including Title IX. I know it was unfortunate you were the first female student athlete to have your jersey retired. Lord knows there were tons of great women athletes who deserve to have that. But you know what? Someone had to be the first. You got to be the first. And now we're opening up the floodgates. They're going to have uh, Anna Goodall is going to get her uh, number retired. Uh, the rowing star, uh, Katie Rowan Thompson, the lacrosse standout. She's going to have hers uh, put up in the rafters as part of this 50 years of Syracuse University women's athletics. So the first and now the doors are going to open up what was it like for you, though, to get to kind of be the standard bearer? Because I don't think people, if they didn't see you play, your numbers are impressive. But I don't know. I feel like you are very a great ambassador to be this first person to have your jersey retired. What made you, you think, the perfect candidate for this honor? You know, it's a lot of different variables you can go by. And I think what I'm going to take is that it's a God wink. You know, I, I think what I stand for is everything other than myself. I'm a servant leader. I, I, I played the game and, and I, you know, you can score as many points as you, you, you want, but who gives you the ball? I've always acknowledged my assist person. I've always acknowledged my mother. She was a standard that I wanted to become. And I am trying to get closer to be more like her, you know, the university, the people that taught me at the school that really gave me the, the foundation of the character that I exude as a human being. And so 
everything I stand for is about what I, I I'm a servant leader. And uh, I hope that is what God sees in me is that I am not going to take this and say, it's about Felicia Leggett Jack. It's nothing about me, but it's everything about us. And my hope is that when they see that number, when people put it on their chest and it doesn't say, oh, that's that Leggett Jack chick. That's all she was as a basketball player. I'm, my prayer is that when, when you see people walking around uh, with 33 on their chest, they can say, I like that number and that person that wore that and it got raised in the rafter because of what she stands for. Her legacy was her servanthood and her sisterhood and her her, fa- her love for her family and her never forgetting her community that she's come from. That's why that number is going to mean something. Like the 44, all those people that wore that 44, all those men that 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 really rocked out and played sports, those are good men too. They've done more than play football and basketball and lacrosse. They stood for something bigger than themselves and Maybe this could be the woman's way, the sisterhood that we create and the, the, the legacy that we leave is that 33 stands for servant, servanthood and, 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 and we, not me. So few athletes have had that number retired. I believe you were the 22nd person, the first female to get that honor. What was it like on November 14th against Notre Dame when they're raising the jersey number to the top of the dome rafters and you're taking your place you know, just all, all the things that we've been through, endured in 55 years, the, 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 the playing the game at a level where you're going to be an All-American and then you blow your knee out your fourth year, third game into the season, and you're going to be an All-American, where you're going to take the game higher and it takes the game away from you so you can watch it from a coach's perspective. And that was another God wink, like, oh, I never thought about being a coach, but now that I see it from a coach's perspective, here this happens. And then you could be in a situation where you give your best of everything and then you're fired and you feel like all hope is gone and you get another opportunity, you get a second chance and you, you, and you run a race of all I care about if today I get fired again, I hope I can help one young person believe believe in just something that they're doing. And so every day I wake up at Buffalo, I try to help at least one person become. And then I do this process. We went to the Sweet 16 and we went to 32 and we, 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 we legitimized our women's basketball program here. I just think that it was all because of the humility that I had and I have uh, through this game called life. And now as that jersey kept going up, I kept saying, you, you, you're just a miracle maker. You, you just um, uh, omnipotent uh, icon that sees so much good in everyone. You found this kid from the housing authority who was raised by one parent, five children, retired, making $36,000. And she worked at the VA hospital right next to this great university. And nobody actually knew her name. And now everybody that breathes my name out, no style to get. And that's my mom. And because of her, her due diligence to keep fighting uh, for her family and paying her tithes in church, her daughter now has raised her name uh, up in the rafters. And I, I just can't believe it. And I, I'm, but I, I do believe in God. And I know that he's like, whenever you think that you got it all figured out, I'm going to take you higher. But if I take you higher, don't forget to bring some of my children with you. So that's all I, I was thinking that little bit of time. It was just 
all my teammates came back. The people I coached came back to witness that, to see, you know, your former players that, that you coached at Syracuse and their teammates and your college coach. And I heard that my assistants and my all my family members, they all came from all over the country to be a part of that. It, it, it just bears witness that, you know, you, you, you're doing something okay and it's not a time for you to stop. It's time for you to embrace this moment, but there's more work to be done. Just how big of a role and how did your mom help you to reach these great heights? You touched on it a little bit, but I feel like there's some more stories there about being a single parent, growing up in the housing authority, raising five other kids. I mean, you know, the deck was, was, was stacked against you. It would seem just based on circumstances. And here you are rising up and teaching others to believe in themselves. How did your mom form those foundations of self-belief and confidence and achievement? Well, you know, she always said, what you start, you finish. You know, we couldn't start on the basketball team and say, oh, man, I don't like that game. I'm, I'm not going to fit. You start the season, you finish the season. You know, there's no, no thought process of you living in her house and not going to school. And you don't go to school without making your bed up. Because if something happens to you while you're out there and they come by and see your room, this is something you got to be proud of. So the discipline of those things like that really uh, resonated in our spirit. And, um, you know, she she was a person that had to walk to the babysitter because when the car broke down and all five of us had to go uh, walk with her a mile down the road to take us to her aunt, my aunt house so she can go up the hill to work at VA hospital. And she did it with grace. She did it with a smile. You never, never saw her cry, but one time when her mom passed away. And so she didn't teach you life lessons. Like let's sit down, let's have this family discussion at the kitchen table. She lived her, 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 her rationale. She lived uh, the way she hoped that she can be a presence to somebody, including her children. And one thing that she did, even though people didn't deserve her, thank you and they treated her poorly, she said, thank you, nevertheless. And she said, you know, like, for example, you know, this is not the best example, but, you know, when she was a kid, uh, someone came to her front of her home and burned a cross, cross in her yard. Uh, she grew up in South Carolina. And we said, mom, why are you telling us? She said, I need to share with this just with you guys, because I need to know, you to know what we've done after that we experienced that. They all, her mom and her, herself and three of her siblings got on their knees and prayed for the person who didn't because they could not know the Lord. I'm like, and so some ways, you know, my, my, my brothers took that one way. I took that like that's the most impactful thing you can do when people hurt you hard. You got two things you can do. You can come after them with a vengeance without God in your heart. Or you can have God in your heart and you pray for them because, you know, he, if for somebody to do you so poorly, they got to have so much anger inside their spirit that you got to pray that out of their body. And so that's how I was raised. And I just, I just really lived her and I still, you know, she's still alive, but as I grew up, I was, I lived her, I watched her and I saw her humility and her fight and her aggression and her compassion, but her passion. And I said, if there's anybody I ever want to be like, it's that lady named Thalia Legat. And uh, she couldn't play a lick of basketball, but she'd tell a lie and say she she did. And I'm like, Mom, you never played. Stop that. That's going too far. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I um I, I enjoyed witnessing her her grace through adversity. And when adversity came my way, and I got fired at Indiana University, 
that's the only person I call. I thought about calling because my husband and son were in Jamaica and uh, she fixed it. She called my brother and said, get to Indiana and get my baby. I was 40 something years old and she calls, I'm the youngest of five and she still called me your baby. And um, we're going to get through this. I don't know what he, he's got you going through this for, Felicia, but there's a reason behind it. And we're going to figure this reason out together. And here I am at University of Buffalo, full circle. So uh, <laughs> I, I think that's, you know, what, what she taught me. I, I, I feel like there's more to learn. And right now she's battling um, uh, Alzheimer's. And I go see her at Loretto. And um, I, I, she still knows who I am. And she still calls me her baby. And she still calls me Felicia. And, you know, a lot of things that she doesn't remember. But I think that because I was so connected with her, that she still understands who I am to her. So it's a really cool thing. It's a different kind of way of learning. And uh, I'm, I'm just so grateful that she's still in our life. You have the, the Syracuse roots and you talk about growing up in the shadows of this campus. What made you want to come to Syracuse to study at Syracuse and to be a baller at Syracuse, especially knowing that our program, you know, I mean, there were some great accomplishments for those teams, late seventies, early eighties, but it wasn't where we're making runs to the final four and we're making, you know, you guys hadn't been to the tournament up until your freshman year. What really made Syracuse stand out to you? My mother, my mother, I wasn't going to leave my mother. I was a top 40 athlete. I could have went anywhere in the country. There's a lady named Vivian Stringer who really, unless she was closer, I'd probably uh, want to play for her because she reminds me of my mom. Mm. Uh, She was in Iowa. And um, I also wanted to go to a program that wasn't already established and I wanted to be one of the reasons it became established. And so, you know, we were coming off a 20-0 season, went to a couple state championships, and it was right in my backyard. And so it was an opportunity for my mom to watch me play. She so enjoyed watching us play as in high school that it would give her a great opportunity for her to not have to go and get on a plane or, or try to drive somewhere to come watch her youngest child. So it was a perfect storm. And I would say you took the Big East by storm, especially your freshman year, getting all conference honors, freshman of the year honors. You get that first NCAA tournament appearance in program history. What was that transition like for you to go from being a really superstar baller in high school to making that transition to Syracuse? You know, I just never looked at it as let's go take it to a different level. It's just basketball. You know, I was only 48 teams when I played um, that went to the NCAA and I just wanted to to represent something, you know, I, I didn't play for Syracuse, to be honest. At first, I played for my God, my family, and myself, and Syracuse got the residuals of, of that, 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 um, that, that play. I and mean, when you play for something bigger than where you are, where you are gets the results of it. And um, I hope that, I, I, you know, you make everybody proud, but I, 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 we had to do something to, to, to make people understand that we're serious about bridging the gap between our family and greatness. And we had nothing other than a ball to show, to, to have, to help us with that because we just couldn't afford Scott college if we didn't have that ball. And so we didn't take it for granted. My first semester, I took it for granted. And, and academically, it was just a little bit not where it needed to be. <laughs> I will pull you out of that school. You better figure out why you're there. And I'm like, oh, crap, mom. You can't even walk to the university like this. <laughs> that was a fun little uh, come to 
God moment. <laughs> She's a tough little five, seven foot lady that, you know, small, but carrying a big stick. <laughs> oh, that is too funny. I, 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 I'm curious though, when it went, was there a moment, was there a realization when the light bulb clicked off where it's like, it's not just, you know, when Syracuse took over as far as you playing for your school now, because the school spirit part is such a huge part of being a student athlete. You've got I know you guys weren't in the dome, unfortunately, getting to play oh, games. Oh, no, it's fortunate because I, I love playing at Manly Fieldhouse. And Jim Beheim can tell you the same thing. That is a wonderful atmosphere. Oh, it was. I, I We didn't want to go to the dome, you know, but if we're going to go to the dome, let's, let's win it. And we, I think we had a, a great winning percentage in the dome, but maybe one or two games. And But we went kicking rocks. We didn't go there and say, yeah, (laughs) like, leave us at Manly. This is our home right here, you know? I mean, there's a reason they called it the Manly Zoo. I mean, it was a bandbox, you know? I mean, come on. Give me me some experiences and moments and memories from what it was like playing for the Cuse and playing in Manly. What what are some of your favorite memories? I don't, it was just all of it, you know, you, you can see all their people that's there, you know, there's my brother, oh, that's my mom, my mom always came in the middle of the game because she had to come from her job, she snuck off her, or she was like cleaning, she cleaned uh, CBS News uh, at hmm. night, and, um, but she'd sneak out and kind of come and watch us play, and then she'd go back at night and finish up, and so you see her walk in the door, and you're shooting free throws, like, there's mom, and there's my aunt Smith, and um, it was just, it was just a family atmosphere, and if all those people are there to watch, you want to, and you see their faces, you just play a little harder, I think, you know, so that, that was just a, you know, college is what you make it, it's Syracuse, got a great alumni base, but, you know, our women's team, we, I still get together with my college coach and my, my teammates and stuff after 30 plus years, we once every summer. And so it's about 10 to 15 of us still get together. It's like, we're still living it and we still, you know, we hang out and stuff. So that's pretty fun. And, and I, I love, I love the, the passion that you're talking about though, with, you know, you're seeing your mom walk into the gym and, you know, you can't replicate that before 30,000 people inside the dome. I mean, that's just not, it's a great, it's a, they're two different atmospheres, but I, I kind of, I'm now you're making me nostalgic for the days of the bandbox. <laughs> like, gym. I, I walked in there and I'm like, there's a football field in our manly field house. I think across <laughs> Like, why'd y'all do that? You know, so <laughs> I, I, there was nothing better than playing at Manly Field House. Nothing you can, you know, I, I'm just, I'm from a small town. I'm from Syracuse, you know, and that, 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 that resonated uh, to us when we played there. And, you know, like, you know, the men's team will walk in. You can tell that, you know, it's coming from, you know, in the weight room or whatever, or the academic wing or whatever. And, you know, at night when you go play at Manly Field House and, you know, you get a manager to open a door and every time you shoot the ball, it echoed. And that echo almost like there's 2,500 people in there and this is you by yourself and the ball pop bounce and it makes that echo noise. And I'm like, there was just, you know, you didn't mind working out. You know, I, I just find me and Stevie Thompson or Mike Hopkins you know, go one on one full court. You know, and even like nine, ten, eleven o'clock at night, and those moments were like, you know, you 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 can't replicate that at in, in the dome or in a big arena. But that's I think that's something that they're missing. But it's just grown too big. Everybody, you know, you got the women's team going to a final four, you got the men's team going to a final four. You got to grow with it. But 
you know, you got to take a second to remember the the cool days too. <laughs> you mentioned you still keep in touch with your coach, Barbara Jacobs. What impact did she have on your life and how did she influence your coaching career? Well, she's just a, a very disciplined lady. She really, you know, you had to be warmed up for the warm up. You can't be putting your, 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 you know, your reversible on at 331, 330. That's when practice start, you know? So her discipline was there and she was always available. You know, we were her life. You know, when you call her at nine o'clock at night, you call her. I remember one time it was in the summer, you know, we were having a gathering with some of our teammates and a bat flew in the house. Of course, we're scared. We call Coach Jacobs. She comes in with a little tennis racket. She wears it. She hit the thing and she put it in a bag and she walks out and like, thanks, Coach. Bye. You guys be careful. That's who she was for us like so she was our safety net and but we and she gave us the platform to just play she didn't try to like bully us she didn't try to you know make us feel like a certain way I gave you this or do that she she just gave us a place to go and have fun and play and and, and be as great as we can be with discipline and and, and sisterhood so knowing that she taught you discipline and camaraderie and being a team and looking out for each other, how do you then carry those principles over to your work at Buffalo? Uh, I, you know, I, I stand for discipline. My players will tell you that, you know, it's impo- every child wants discipline. Your brain isn't fully developed at 25 years old, and it's our responsibility to discipline young people. And I have no judgment on anyone, but what you come with is what you leave with. Because that's a pivotal time and kids want you to discipline them and they know there is no judgment. Love is love. We know that, you know, but there's a certain way we're going to be in public. I say, I miss me and my husband. It's just a certain way we're going to be because it's about discipline. And when you discipline people, they might be mad at you. Someone might quit, but they're going to always come back when their brain is fully developed and understand that I loved you enough to lose you if I have to. But I'm not going to shortchange you in a discipline category and an expectation. And the wisdom that I have to pour into you has to be 100%. We sit in the first three rows of a classroom. That's important because you go to class, that's one thing. But then have an engagement with the professor, that's something else. You come there to learn. And so when we do a classroom check, it's to see that you're right in the front. We want your best effort. Not for me, not for the university. But for that one person that looks in the mirror at you, and that's yourself. You deserve yourself. And we talk about that all the time. And we don't talk about winning or losing. We talk about this game is a microcosm of life. What you pour in for the next four or five years is what you're going to give in back to yourself for the next 50 to 60 years of your life. I take that very seriously. There's no doubt that you gave your best, you know, to the orange. I mean, the fact that, you know, we're looking three decades later and you're still in the top 10 in career points, career rebounds, career field goals made. Those stats are impressive. But do your student athletes know how good of a player you were? Well, I check ball still. I, <laughs> I'll show them numbers. I I, I check ball. And, and I'm not nearly as good as what I talk, but they know that, you know, I, I, I still can play a little bit. Uh, a couple of days ago, I, uh, I saw our big guy on the men's team, Josh. He was out, you know, shooting some free throws and kind of, marking around before his Western Kentucky game before they left. And I just didn't like the way his body language was. I just said, oh, all right. Mm-mm. I came downstairs from that little track that old people walk around like myself. I said, check ball, Josh. I'm, I'm not doing <laughs> I'm not. You can't even beat somebody like, you know, I'm a Hall of Famer. 
You know who I am. You know, I just, he's like, he's like, shoot three, he's like three in a row. I said, that's all you got. And so I threw my little move on him. And he blocked my shot about two or three times. And uh, I said, next basket wins. And he just, he looked so intense. He hit that jump shot in my face. And I said, you know the difference between this game, playing against this old lady that's 55 years old, and that St. Bonaventure game when you didn't do too well? He said, well, I said, your eyes. I said, only thing that I can ever tell you about being great, about what I've done, and is or my eyes. My eyes told the story of I'm playing for something bigger than the person that I'm, I'm playing against. You can't possibly want it more than me because I'm playing for my God, my family, myself, and then the university. Yeah, I'm, don't play for me. You know, I, I'm the last thing you should be playing for. I want to give you the tools to to go out there and and live your dreams, but play for something bigger so your eyes can tell the story of how gifted you want to be for those 40 plus minutes. And if it's not up to your standards, we pray that you can wake up in the morning and, and do a little bit better tomorrow. And the numbers that I've done in my past has nothing to do with what this real story is. It's a real story is what I play for. There's some unbelievable experiences and life lessons to gain from our conversation here with an unbelievable, talented former student athlete. Now she's doing great things coaching the University at Buffalo. She had the honor, Felicia Leggett Jack, of being the first female student athlete to get her jersey retired high atop the dome rafters, the first of many more to come. Except for when you play Syracuse, we wish you nothing but the best of luck in your coaching <laughs> career with those Bulls. I appreciate you. And I thank you so much for your time. And I'm humbled for, for this opportunity to be with you too today. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. <laughs>